welcome to another episode that's been long overdue of Four Guys in a Comic. And this week, we have me, Rusty, Alex, whatever you want to call me. We have Matt, and we have Michael. Um, Hopefully, we will hear back from uh, Nova or Mike soon. Um, He told us that he will be uh, making a reappearance sometime here in the near future. But that's not going to stop us from... uh, getting this show rolling is it guys oh no let's do it no all right so one of the big things this week in comics that i'm just gonna jump right into and it's sad to say but uh last week i think it was the 27th was it yeah 27th 27th famous famous comic creator legend Man, he was the bee's knees back in the 60s and 70s until he got tired of the whole thing. I'm talking about Mr. Steve Ditko, co-creator of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Creeper, uh, Question, a million other people, One, of, you know. Um, he passed away, um, you know. he. It's sad to hear whenever uh, comic creators uh, pass away, especially ones with such significance in the industry. But um, he lived a long life until his early 90s. I believe he was 90. He was 90. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a long life, you know, for a long, like a long career as well. Like he may have gone into hermit mode, uh, you know, after the millennium and the 90s and whatnot. But uh, he is someone that left a lasting impact in the comic world. So, um, if you guys are okay with it, I mean, uh, I'm hoping that the audience is okay with it because they can't respond back to me, but maybe you could leave a comment on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, something, um, but I'm hoping that it's okay with, uh, Mike and Matt here, or Michael and Matt here, um, if we talk a little bit about Steve Ditko's life before we get into our regular show. Is that cool to y'all? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so Steve Ditko was born in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, on November 2nd, 1927, which was the same year that the famous Babe Ruth-inspired New York Yankees ruled the world of baseball. So if you want some context to how long ago 1927 was, that was a long time ago. I mean, uh, I never knew he was from Pennsylvania, but it's kind of crazy. He broke into the industry, okay, after he stu- he went to uh, New York and under instruction of Jerry Robinson, who was the second artist to draw Batman right after Bob Kane, um, at the Cartoonist and Illustrator School there in New York. He studied under Jerry Robinson. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but the second mm-hmm. dude to do Batman taught Steve Ditko how to draw, basically. I, I think you mean the third guy to ever do Batman. Third guy. Don't forget about Bill Finger, sir. Yeah, Bill Finger, mm-hmm. man. Can't forget about him, the real creator of Batman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen um, uh, the documentary, Batman on and Hulu, Bill, yeah, or Bat- Bill and Batman, or Batman and Bill, something like that. It's something a really like good that. documentary. Really good documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. But um, he studied in New York under Jerry Robinson at the Cartoonist and Illustrator School, and his first published work in comics was for DC. In Fantastic Fears 5, and it was soon followed by Black Magic 27. Both were drawn in 1953. So uh, what were you doing in 1953, Red, right? You're just coming out of the war there. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> well, basically, I, I, I was reading some uh, Ditko work. Yeah, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, beyond Ditko's, like, DC work, in 1954, he also labored for Charlton Comics, which I think is what mm-hmm. really kind of got his start in the comic industry. Um he he his product was published okay in a low budget printing shop that had been converted from a cereal box factory mm, so cool. they were, yeah they were printing cereal boxes and all the cartoony stuff on the front and all that stuff and they decided to uh swap it over to comics because you know comics were so popular in the 1950s yeah. when they weren't getting burned in uh book burnings so yeah and charleston uh charleston charleston, charleston, charleston comics they were really awesome things they had so many different titles going on back then and it's sad to say that so many of those issues you can still find in dollar bins and five dollar bins for as old as they are but i I highly encourage anybody pick some of that stuff up and read it there is some really really great stuff in there yeah no definitely you know what's weird too is uh charlton the paper stock and the inking dyes were really low grade and then they just Mm -hmm. never had any plans to improve it according to uh Steve Ditko's website here uh, when I was doing yeah. research on them. They were saying that Charlton just was like, all right, we're going to make comic books. And uh, Ditko liked it because he was left alone to exercise full control over his creations. So mm-hmm. that meant more to him than getting a slight raise in salary from, you know, different bigger name companies and all. He liked the idea that he was his own boss. Yeah. Yeah. And That's so. Cool. On one fateful day in 1955, that all changed for Mr. Ditko, though. He met Stan Lee in 1955, who was a young editor at Atlas Comics at the time, by his Ooh, uh, his uncle. Kirby. Yeah, his uncle ran it, Martin Goodman. Um, and, uh, yeah, he decided to uh, go over there and pick up some stuff with uh, Stan. Um, you know, after a brief change to Timely, um, it would soon turn to uh, Marvel Comics, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, Ditko was one of the original three, basically. Um, his debut for Lee, though, at Stanley, goes back to Journey into Mystery 33. Okay? Uh, but when this came out, what's crazy about this is that um, not all three uh, team members were in place yet. Uh Kirby hadn't shown up yet. So it was just Ditko and Lee uh, doing Journey into Mystery and other random stuff uh, before they switched it over to Marvel with uh, Timely Mm -hmm. Comics. Uh, It wasn't until 1958 that Jack Kirby started working for uh, Stan and uh, with Strange Worlds number one. Um, But there's no record shown of Kirby also working at Charlton with Ditko. So they wouldn't have never met each other if it wasn't for Stan even though they mm-hmm. both kind of suffered the same fate. So um, for the next couple of decades, uh, Ditko worked both for both companies. And, um, you know, it ended up kind of being boiled down to uh, what was like a, the 60s or whatever when Marvel Comics popped out and everything. And that, that's when things started going. Yeah, I want to also mention, just because it was such a big name, and I think that uh, you might appreciate this, uh, Matt, but uh, in 1960 at Charlton, Ditko introduced Captain Adam in Space Adventures 33. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that wasn't his big break, guys. Uh, I'm just going to sit here. We know what it was. 1962, 
he started doing a series called Amazing Adult Fantasy, okay? Which spanned from issue mm-hmm. 7 to 14. And, uh, Michael, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone why Amazing Adult Fantasy is such a big deal? Because issue 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. When it changed over to Amazing. Yeah, amazing Fantasy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then he had Spider Man. Yep, and that's when Spider-Man emerged. And, uh, you know, what's funny about the whole thing is that I've heard stories before that Ditko didn't think that it was going to go anywhere because he didn't like Stan's ideas, even though he Mm -hmm. tweaked a lot of them for his own. I think I heard a story that it was supposed to be like Flyman or something, and Ditko was like, why not spiders? So Yeah, yeah, something about... Uh, nobody would want to read a story about a spider. I remember that being in there. Yeah, and so they published it. Spider-Man debuted, and uh, the popularity of Spider-Man came out hot on the heels of Kirby's recent run with the Fantastic Four. So it was soon like a follow-up to the next big thing at Marvel, you know? And uh, that was way back in 1962. You know, when you think of Spider-Man, I mean, before I was really into comics, I... I don't know why, but I always thought that like Spider-Man came on a little bit later, maybe in the 70s and not the 60s for some reason. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I never associate Spider-Man with 60s. I, I don't know what it is. Really? But I, I always think like 70s and 80s Spider-Man. Maybe it's just because I haven't read a lot of 60s Spider-Man. I know that uh, Tap over here is looking at me like, what's your problem? Uh, why haven't <laughs> you got into the uh, 60s Spidey yet? Because I know you enjoy 60s Spidey, don't you? I enjoy Spidey in general. Um, yeah. Spidey, Spidey's one of my favorite heroes ever since I was a kid. He was kind of Spidey was the one that kind of got me into comics, and then as I got older, when I fell out of comics, Spider Man and the Bendis Ultimate Spider Man run is actually what got me back into comics again when I had fallen out. And so yeah, there was a, a lot of love, a lot of love for that, which is Spider Man. Um, and the sixty stuff's great, man. Uh, it it's is. a little, it's it's wordy, sure. It's it's the dialogue at times can be a little rough, um, but it's a good book, man. It, it's awesome. It was it was, I don't know, tugs at the heartstrings. I guess it has a lot of nostalgia value to it for me. You know what yeah. Ditko, how Ditko described uh, Stan Lee's writing in at this point in time? He said that Stan Lee basically wrote soap op- soap operas. And he that, did. And that's, that's exactly what, that's, what it was. And that's what it was. Yeah. He described it whenever I was researching on his website and stuff that uh, Lee's uh, soap opera like stories. So they were very soap opery, but I think that's kind of what set it all apart, and I think that's kind of what what drove it to do what it did is because of the, it was different. The, it was different. Yeah. It's not it drew you in more with emotions. There was, and what there was long arcs. It wasn't just everything yeah. ended in one issue or maybe even two issues. There was nice long overlapping arcs that yeah. would happen. And yeah. So, and you, and you think of that 60 stuff too. You, you failed to mention that, you know, all the great villains came out that period too. Doc, yep. Sandman, Lizard, Electro, yeah, uh, we're gonna get a little bit into that too. Like, there's some weird stuff with some of his villains family and them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, right after you know Spidey came out and Fantastic Four came out, Kirby started getting on the gun with it, and he got Hulk and X Men and Thor, and then Ditko came out with Doctor Strange, which was his other really big creation that came out of uh, Marvel from this time. Um, so, most of the concepts and scripts 
were written and edited by Lee, okay? Even the recasting of Submariner and Captain America and all of them, they he claims that was all Lee and stuff. Um, but, you know, at this time, uh, you know, they were all kind of compared to the Beatles at this point. Um, the the analogy on here says that the uh, regarding Marvel, this time involving the Beatles, Lee was often compared to being Paul McCartney, to Kirby mm-hmm. being John Lennon, and Ditko being George Harrison. Okay? I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, well, they said that Don Heck must have represented Ringo. Um, <laughs> each artist would it be would have been fine on his own, but a bit too caustic. Okay? And that's how they described them working together. Or so it says on Ditko's website. So, um, you know... A lot of, uh, you know, different things started going on with the 60s and stuff. Ditko dubbed (laughs) Sturdy Steve by Lee in the 60s, uh, mainly worked on Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, within Strange Tales, and then other less regular Marvel book projects um, in between his Charlton duties. So while he was doing this Marvel stuff, he was still putting out stuff for Charlton Comics. It seems like these guys didn't ever get any sleep is what it says. But in his uh, personal life, okay, um, he adopted different philosophies of um, Ayn Rand, uh, you know, uh, cartoonist Robert Crumb, his parodies, and just a bunch of different, like, conservative and restrictive kind of concerning yourself and different things, including good and evil, black and white, little and no gray areas in between. He was pretty, like, left and right side of the fence, no middle area. Um Okay, so do y'all know how the falling out took place between Ditko and Lee originally? Supposedly? I'd probably say creative differences would be my guess. Okay, it was creative differences. Do you know anything about these differences, uh, Matt? No? No? Okay. So uh, the falling out took place because they were going to reveal who the Green Goblin was, okay? Mm -hmm. And Stan Lee wanted it to be Harry Osborn, while Ditko felt that it should not be so obvious, and he preferred that the master criminal be a complete stranger, because he thought it was just going to be like, oh, no one's going to, everyone's not going to, everyone's already guessing that, you know what I mean? It's not that big of a shocker if you make it. Yeah. Uh, you know who it ended up being, though. So, yeah, whatever uh, whatever ultimate reason, uh, Ditko left the full-time <laughs> mm-hmm. grind in 1966 of Marvel. And uh, But we know that that wasn't his last time in comics. That wasn't even his last time in Marvel. Now, um, right after this, in 1968, he uh, did some DC work with The Creeper and with Hawk and Dove, which blew up, right? But one of his uh, less known things is he came up with a character uh, called The Question. Now, do you know why The Question is so important? Question helped. Uh, if it, without the question, you wouldn't have Rorschach. Yes, you would not have Rorschach without the question. So a lot of people say that uh, Ditko inspired the creation of Rorschach, which is really cool. I didn't know this until I started looking all this up. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's kind of uh, crazy to think that just like beyond Marvel, I'll say he created so many different things, like so many really, really cool characters and villains and things like that would go Squirrel off. Girl. Yeah. One of his less known and last 
created characters was Squirrel Girl. And not many people know that because that was like back in 91, 92, something like that. And a Marvel Winter special. It was really small. Like, it was randomly popped back up. Now, one of the things that I learned that I felt was just kind of like jerk move about this whole thing, okay, with uh, Lee and Ditko, is uh, the year after Ditko left Marvel, uh, that's when the Spider-Man animated TV series first started running. Mm. And, um, yeah, apparently Ditko got nothing out of that. So, first time getting screwed. Now, uh... It's It's not uncommon for Marvel to do that to somebody. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. So... Other than some brief work, he like uh, he did a Hulk cover and um, Micronauts annuals and some Machine Man guest issues and stuff. Uh, he made no appearances in Marvel until like the early eighties. He was basically yeah, he went over to DC. Yeah, he did all that yeah. stuff with DC, um, and he still was doing Charlton stuff too yeah. until they went out of business. I think in the seventies. I'm not a hundred percent sure when they went out of business, but yeah. I'm almost positive it was the seventies. Yeah, I want to say it was mid. Mid to late 70s. Yeah. Well, um, when he came back in the 80s, okay, he did uh, Marvel Spotlights. He did Indiana Jones, ROM, Speedball, and some more work on Machine Man. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I saw um, actually on Twitter during this whole thing last week whenever uh, things were getting passed around about memories with Ditko and stuff. I saw a letter that a, a independent comic artist or creator uh, sent to Ditko, um, you know, saying, talking about, hey, you know, I loved your work on ROM and stuff. Um, I really, you know, it inspired me to do these comics. And uh, Ditko replied back, okay, with a letter saying that he hated his ROM work, basically. He said that by then, comic art was getting too detailed. Hmm. Yeah. And you see hmm. that... You kind of see the opposite now, where it's like pretty decent writing, but really bad art. So, but then again, that was right before the whole 90s thing took off, where it was all Rob Liefelds and Jim Lees and Todd McFarlane's, and we need people that can tell the story through their art, and we don't have to write as much of a story. Let's get rid of Chris Claremont. Um, But yeah, so that whole thing went down. Um, You know... It's sad that after that whole run in his early 90s stuff, he kind of went away. Um, Not much is known about the man from what he did in his time. Uh, He lived in an apartment in uh, New York, was it? I'm pretty sure he lived in an apartment in New York. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And um, he lived like a hermit's life. Basically, you could write him letters, though. And I heard all the time, like, if you hand-wrote him a letter, he would hand-write one back to you. Even if it was something sarcastic or snarky, he would still reply uh, hmm. with something. And uh, it's something that I always wish that I did. I always wish that I took the time to sit down and write him a letter, because even if it was something stupid that he wrote back, I have a Steve Ditko signature at the bottom of the car. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, so... Sad to say, he was, uh, you know, found in his apartment. It took two days for them to find him. Um, But, you know, his legacy and his legend will go on, you know. And um, I I really wish that he had a uh, better ending to his uh, comic story. Uh Yeah. 
So, uh, ending all that, uh, is there anything that y'all want to bring up about Steve Ditko? Maybe something about his work, uh, something that he's done, something you've read about him, any fun facts? Y'all have anything? Uh, I got a few things, if I can. Um, do you guys uh, are familiar with a restaurant chain called Bob's Big Boy? Yeah. So, I don't know if you knew this or not, but, you know, back day, I want to say it started when the restaurant came out in the 50s up until the 80s. They used to have it to where they were like the first place to have it where when kids came in, um, they would hand them activity books with crayons. They, you know, Bob's Big Boy started that. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of franchised out to a couple different companies, Bob's Big Boy and Shoney's. And there was two other ones. I just can't remember. And... Well, they kept producing these little activity books until the 80s. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them, but they're pretty cool. It had, you know, basically Bob's Big Boy on the cover with, you know, word searches and all sorts of different things that you could do in there for, for fun. Uh, little known fact is that Ditko drew and designed a bunch of those things for the Bob's Big Boy franchise. That's cool. It is, and I used to collect those, and the thing is, though, you... There's no information in them who the artist or writer or any of that stuff was. It was never published. So you don't know really which uh, those kids' activities out there are, are Ditko work. Huh. Yeah. Wait, no, what time frame was this in? Was this in the 60s? He, he did this in the 70s. 70s. Okay, so this is when yes. he was out of the Marvel stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. he got a job with them doing some of that stuff. And it was like... Wow, you know, I wonder which ones he did because you know those those things are people collect them. I mean, I collect them. They're they're really cool and they're hard to find, especially ones that are in decent shape without any uh, scribbles in it from kids. <laughs> That's weird. I well, mean, it's cool. Fun fact about Bob's Big Boy: just kind of a six degrees of separation type thing. Bob's Big Boy is the reason why Funko became a thing. And is the reason why Funko Pops obviously became a thing after Funko started, etc. Because Bob's Big Boy was the first Funko product as a bobblehead. That's I cool. did not know that. I, yep. I never knew that either. They wanted to create something, so they just made something in their garage. And they asked Bob's Big Boy, they said, hey, can we make a Big Boy bobblehead? Like, bobbleheads are going to be, they did this in the 90s. They were like, bobbleheads are gonna be huge we think it's gonna be a, a big market do you mind if we franchise or take a license this character and and turn him into a bobblehead and they were like uh go for it like wh- whatever and so they did and uh that was the start of funko huh that is cool. cool so i got another fun thing uh about steve ditko for you um you'll probably appreciate this uh, a lot uh matt but um, Steve actually had a, uh, soft spot for horror comics, okay? Mm-hmm. And, um, what he originally did was, I know he created a bunch of, you know, different superheroes, and did a bunch of superhero comics and stuff, but, uh, for a while in the 60s, how he got started with, uh, horror comics was he did little five-page spreads that they would put in the back of little, um, like, catalogs and magazines and different things, uh, where he would tell like a random horror story, or, like a digest, or a uh, Charlton comic, or like a preview thing, or whatever. And um, 
in the early 70s after he left uh, Marvel, he actually did a short run of art on Chamber of Chills for Charlton. Oh. Yep. Hmm. He mostly did covers and some interiors, but yeah, he had a soft spot for uh, horror comics. That's nice. Cool. Not something you would think from the, uh, well, I guess you could kind of see it with his Doctor Strange stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So I got to throw this out there for every for all three of us. What is some of your favorite Ditko work? Hands down for me, just because it's a whole childhood thing, and I think a lot of people are going to say this, it has to be Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I Any think a lot issue? of... Uh, that's a good question. So yeah, huh. for me, I'm, while you're thinking about that, I'm going to throw out there, for me, Spider-Man 33. Okay. What's so significant about 33 to you? Well, you get one, it's, I love the cover because that cover is the, uh, you know, where he's pinned down underneath the, uh, a bunch of metal stuff inside of water. I know what you're talking about. They even did that scene in the new, uh, Homecoming movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did. I, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, one, just gotta love that cover. And then also, you know, the the uh, arc it was uh, uh, something. This this is my destiny. This be my destiny, if memory serves. Something like that. Something with the destiny. And that was where they brought in uh, the Osborne and uh, what's her face, uh, Gwen. Okay. So yeah, that's where that where he meets them in school. So it was just a great arc because it was a Doc Ock story in it and it was just really good <laughs> yeah all right mine would have to be amazing spider-man 14 the reason yeah. being first appearance of green goblin green goblin to me has always been one of my favorite spider-man villains just the icon and a lot of it is due to ditko it's the iconic look that green and purple and like that mask, like it, that's by far my my favorite look. I absolutely love it. Um, I gotta go with Amazing Spider-Man fourteen, like that classic look of uh, Green Goblin is is what sold me on it. I mean, if you just pull it up and look at it, like it's so awesome. I don't know. It kind of looks like like this jester, but there's like that purple and green and just like that weird face and the glider and everything, which back then the glider was more of like a rocket. But yeah. It's yeah. still like, it's, it's so awesome. I don't know. The goblin, the green goblins always been kind of like a favorite villain of mine as far from the Spider-Man world. So I would have to say amazing Spider-Man 14. Very cool. Okay. So for me, I mean, it's not really, it's not going to be Spider-Man. I love his Spider-Man stuff, okay? I also, you know, love some of his other stuff. But I really enjoy a lot of his uh, Strange Tales, like Doctor Strange stuff. And uh, with Strange Tales, though, it wasn't always just like him. You know, sometimes they would throw in other stories and whatnot. Um, but just even that first uh, appearance, uh, what I think it's issue 110 or something like that. Um, Strange Tales 110. 
I think, yeah. And it has the wizard and the paste pot peed on the right. But if you actually go to, like, the uh, page where it's, like, Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic and stuff, he looks so goofy in that first, like, panel of him. But um, as he started drawing him more and more, the art for Doctor Strange, just through the Strange Tales issues, just got, like, better and better and better and better. And um, I really enjoyed it. Especially... uh, (laughs) What Doctor Strange ended up turning into with his uh, Marvel premiere stuff, where he had his own like self-title under Doctor Strange and Marvel premiere, and uh, but that was beyond uh, Ditko at that time. But you know, a lot of his uh, original Strange Tales stuff with uh, Doctor Strange, I loved it. Doctor Strange looked kinky. He does. He looks weird. <laughs> does he got like the cheetah gloves yeah, on? Yeah, or like a the, giraffe yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> he, he looks a little on the kinky side. <laughs> He's like, hey, let me just pull out the whip real fast. They don't call me Doctor Strange for nothing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, Ditko also did, like I said, those uh, Chamber of Chills covers and stuff and... Uh, those are really dope, too. I really, really... They, they look like the uh, EC covers back in the day and stuff, and you could tell he totally took inspiration from that. I mean, the whole concept of the comic is stolen from EC anyway. Uh, but the uh, covers and the art and stuff he did, he could draw a mean skeleton. I'll say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, definitely. So, is... Uh, I mean... Was it a surprise to y'all when y'all learned that Steve Ditko created Squirrel Girl? Yeah, it was. A little, little bit. I was, uh, yeah, a little bit. Do you think that he created Squirrel Girl as an answer to Spider-Man in a female form? No. no. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's like the every girl, everyday kind of girl character. I don't think he expected her to become the cultural phenomenon that she's become over the last five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, is there any final words for Mr. Steve Ditko for, uh, for y'all before we move on? Rest in peace. Good sir. Rest in peace. Yeah. You will be missed. Yeah. No, definitely. One of the greats going sad to hear, but, um, we're at the 30 minute mark. So let's take our transition here and go into our second part. guys we're back here and uh we're coming back on a good good note maybe possibly i don't know so it seems that uh matt has uh i y'all know that a while ago i got him to read man thing in all of the steve gerber stuff minus i think 18 to 22 something like that got him to read all the man thing stuff the adventure into fear the uh the regular man thing title volume one Everything. Well, Matt, why don't you uh, tell everyone uh, what just happened and why it's a great time in the Man-Thing world for you? (laughs) So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Basically, there's there's, uh, Man-Thing Omnibus is now out of print. It's been out of print for a while. 
Um, it doesn't go for like massive amounts of money. Like it's not a white whale by any means, but it it, it is a whalehead or a whale of some sort for a lot of people. And uh, cover price on the books like one twenty five, right? So if you can pick it up for that or less, you're doing good. And um, yeah, so I was looking on eBay, just kind of messing around today. And I was bored. And uh, there's two auctions going on for the Man-Thing Omnibus, both of which ended within five minutes of each other. One of them had zero bids. The other one had, like, a bunch of bidders, and it was priced at, like, 78 bucks. And I was like, oh, there's no way in hell I'm, like, I'll just bid the 78 bucks. Like, there's no way in hell I'm going to win this book for 78 bucks. So I'm going to focus on this other one that doesn't have any bidders at all. And just I'd end up paying cover price on it. Um, well, I shouldn't have bought the one. Cause, well, so the one that was cover price ended first. And then five minutes later, the one that was $78 ended. And uh, I shouldn't have bought the one that ended at, that ended first because now I ended up winning both auctions. So I now have two copies of the Man-Thing Omnibus coming to me. <laughs> and uh Yeah. Um, so I went from like having none to having two within five minutes of each other. Um, but I know that our good friend Alex here is a a big thing is a big man thing fan as well. And, um, so I think what I actually, you know, I've been thinking and I think what I'm going to do, sir, is your birthday was not that long ago. Um, one of the copies are yours. Happy birthday. Are you serious? You just oh, made God. my day, brother. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah. What? That's so cool. Thank you very much. If any of the other four guys want to chip in a couple bucks, you're more than welcome. <laughs> I, no, I, but, I'll, uh, go have, I'll go have these on you. All right. We'll do the 78. You get the $78 one. There's a little crease on the top of the dust jacket. You can have the $78 one. It's 100% <laughs> okay with me. You know, I'll um, have them. I'll have them ship it to you. Just send me your, send me your address. I'll have them ship it directly to oh, you. Oh, you are a prince. You know that? You are. Yeah. Well, I was thinking this whole time. I'm like, if I end up winning, it was honestly, my plan was that if I won either one, I would probably just end up giving it to you at some point anyway. <laughs> and then, um, cause I knew that you'd really been wanting it, Yeah. but I know that the omnibus has more stories than what the deluxe editions had. So I was kind of wanting to look at the Omni and see what was all in it first. Um, but I'm like, well, if I end up winning two, I go, depending, I go, let's just fucking do it. Like it's his birthday. Not too long ago. Happy. But we always do gifts for one another. We haven't done gifts. I don't think for a while now I've been kind of, I've been yes, a little the on the holidays. I've been a little on the broke side with buying a new house and things anyway. So I, I was like, we're all in that boat right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so happy birthday, happy belated birthday. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's not going to go to waste. By the way, I think I I'm I don't recall because I think I was really broke back then because that's when I was buying my new house. But I think we owe Red Skull a gift as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure hey, we didn't we'll, get you anything this year, so we'll have to figure it yeah. out. That's all good. I know I got yours tab still uh, being worked on, which you already know about. Oh yeah, the Ghost Rider. Yeah, cool. I, I still need to find the last couple issues. Yeah, that's exciting shit, man. My birthday's in two days. What? What? I'm mm-hmm. gonna be an old man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh 
my gosh. Okay, if you're an old man, what is uh, what is Michael over here? You're the uh, the crypt keeper, right? Like a fine wine, you know. You, you age well. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like a fine scotch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. But if, uh, you know, Matt, if you happen to get any double IDW hardcovers, let me know. <laughs> let me know which ones you're looking for, man. I usually find really good deals on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where do you find your deals at? Um, well, there's a few things. Um, online, obviously, is always a good spot. There's a lot of different websites. Um, have you ever, do you ever visit isbns.net? No, typically it's eBay or in stock trades. Okay. Both of them are amazing sites. I go to both of those all the time. Um, go to isbns.net and just type in what you're looking for. Or if you have the ISBN number, you can put that in as well. But just okay. type in the title that you're looking for. It'll pull up all of the online stores, including eBay and Amazon. Um, it won't pull up in stock trades, though. Um, so that it doesn't pull up that it doesn't pull up like uh, CGN cheap graphic novels.com. It doesn't pull up any of those, but it'll pull up eBay, um, Amazon. It'll include all the third party sellers, et cetera. And that's how I actually found, um, a lot of books for like amazing prices, um, by searching that. And I go there and I search for the books that I'm looking for maybe like once or twice a week. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what I, what I do there. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then there's also a couple of Facebook groups that I'm in, um, that are strictly omnibus slash hardcover collectors, um, Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have people from all walks of life in these groups that collect everything from like the big two only to, super indie stuff to people like that collect the Don Rosa, like uncle Scrooge stuff. Um, I mean, it's all walks of life. So I wouldn't be surprised. And sometimes all you have to do, like that's how I found Gargantua. I just reached out to the group and I said, Hey, I'm looking for Gargantua. Can anyone help me out within 10 minutes? Someone messaged me and said, Hey, here you go. Here's Gargantua. Hmm. So, so I want to ask yeah. you right now, brother, cause you uh, seem to be the king of hardcovers. We're going to W that right now. Matthew, the king of hardcovers, (laughs) McFerris. Okay, so what I want to ask you now, okay, for the podcast world, for all the listeners out there listening to Four Guys in a Comic, what are your top three tips for buying hardcovers? Oh, okay. Well, I can give you a lot of mistakes as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've, uh, my collection has changed a lot over the last few years because my mindset, like, okay, don't fall for the completionist mindset. All right. Like that's, <gasps> yeah. <Number> one. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's the, that's the quickest way to go broke collecting hardcovers. Um, for a while there, I had every single Spider-Man omnibus like ever released, every hardcover, everything, right? And um, I start reading some of them. And as much as I love Spider-Man, let's be real, not every book collected of Spider-Man is a great read or even a good read, okay? And so I'm reading some of these and I go, you know, while it's a fun read, 
am I ever going to pick this book up again and read it? Or is it just going to sit on my shelf for the next 10 years? And what I've decided now is, especially since I'm getting a little bit older and I need to start thinking about purchases a little bit wiser and things like that, is if I'm not going to reread this book anytime soon and it's just going to sit on my shelf for the next 10 years, I'm going to get rid of it. There's no reason for me to keep it. None whatsoever. Like, nobody else is going to see what my library looks like but me. Who am I trying to impress? You know what I mean? And so when I first started collecting, I was very much in that completionist mindset where I got to have this, I got to have this, I got to have this, I got to have this. And I just didn't care if it was good or not. And so now, now that I've gotten all of that out of my system (laughs) and I've now sold a lot of books um, and I'm, I've actually now got my collection to where I'm really happy. It's not nearly as big as it was. But I am really, really happy with all the books that I have because they're all books that I'm going to read multiple times over. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really, really happy with my collection currently. Um, so that's tip number one, basically. Don't okay. don't go broke trying to collect. Like, don't try to impress anybody. Collect what you're going to read. Don't buy a book just because it's out of print. Buy a book because you're actually going to enjoy it and you're going to read it. You know what I mean? Um, so many people are like, oh, I just bought this book. I got it for $200. I don't know if it's any good. Well, why would you spend $200 on a book? Like now grant in the past, I've been guilty of that. Luckily I was able to sell it and make my money back and or more, but I've been guilty of that. And it's all because you get caught up in the hype train of everybody being like, oh, this book's out of print. It's like, it's just the, the hunt is fun. So you get caught up in the hype train. Don't get caught up in the hype train. Um, I mean, the, what, buy what you're going to read. Buy what you enjoy. And the only exception that I mean, I could kind of semi see would be like for myself. I want to get the complete set of Lock and Key, only because I know that it's a good. I haven't uh, read it, but I know so it's so fucking good. It's in my top five books of all time. Yeah, and it's cheaper to buy the set in hardcover than it is for me to be going out and picking up yeah. all the. Actually, the hang on. Hang on one second. Um, nobody else is going to see this but you guys, but hang on one second. Uh-oh. We got something <laughs> Right? And this is where I play extremely uh, advantageous and suspenseful uh, superhero-sounding music. Boom, 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 All right. <laughs> All right. So we have... This is the best way to collect Lock and Key in its entirety. Um, they have like these really cool, oversized, like 16-inch massive books, but they only collect like the first two arcs, so you're missing four other arcs. Ooh. Um, and they and they're never gonna make them. Like they only did two, and then they decide they're not making money on them, so they're not gonna make any more. So that's why nobody's buying them. So if you want to collect it in complete, gorgeous hardcovers. Buy what is called the Lock and Key Master Editions. This is volume yeah, one. That's what I'm looking at. There's three volumes, and you have the entire series. Not only do you have the entire series in three volumes, I am a sucker for ribbon bookmarks and books. I think it just mm. makes a book look really classy. Yeah. Lock and yep. Key has the ribbon bookmarks. Do they even have the silk pages in the in, on the inside cover? They don't have like the silk, um, the silk pages. They do have some nice like cover pages though. Like here's the map of um, the island that they live on. Okay. 
Um, and then yeah, Gabriel Rodriguez, dude, the he's fucking incredible. Um, and then when you flip to the back of the book, so once you get done with the with the three arcs, I think it is in this. Um, it actually explains in the back of the book. There's extras that explain the keys. Um, what the keys are, what each key does, its power, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then they also have what they call the key house gallery, which is just a bunch of like sketches that Gabriel Rodriguez did while designing the book. Um, and that's in, so that's volume one. Now the beautiful thing is cover price on these books and they're made by IDW. Um, cover price on these books is 50 bucks. You can get them all on IST for, mm-hmm. was it 35 a book? 20. Oh. Yeah. 35. I think a book. Buy two, get the third free. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you can get them on Amazon for I think about thirty-one or thirty-three a book um, via Amazon Prime. I actually got all three of mine on Amazon, and because they screwed up my order, I ended up getting all three of them for about fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They nice. screwed up my order. Um, you. Here's You're volume better. two. Yeah, and each one has two arcs in it, not three. But yeah, each one has two arcs. Um, and then, and these books are so well made and bound. And then volume three. Now, when you say those three um, volumes, to, has it's the complete series? Yes, it is the complete okay. series. Um, the only thing that's missing from these is they've released, and you can buy them in a separate hardcover. Um, it's a thin hardcover. It's like maybe 150 pages. It's not very big. They released a um, a new hardcover that has like some new short stories in it, um, and I think it's like maybe twenty bucks or something like that because it's it's pretty thin. It's not very big, um, but as far as like the main story goes, that is it right there. And they're in the process of making the Lock and Key TV show on Hulu, so that's big news. Um, but wait, so yeah. what was your tip too? Oh, um, utilize utilize connections. Never pay cover price unless a book's out of print, um, or unless you're trying to support a local shop. In which case, fair enough. I'm not going to hate on that. But um, utilize your resources. Like I said, ISBNS.net is a great way to find books. Um, InStockTrades.com or IST, if you are in the U.S., is a great way to get books. Um, Amazon, believe it or not, good. Except a lot of people aren't fans of Amazon due to the fact that their shipping is shitty. Um, mm. So you'll like order a book and it'll arrive all dinged up and stuff because they don't always package it the best. Um, however, the nice thing about Amazon, though, is that if that is the case, they'll usually send you out a new product and you get to keep the old. Mm. Or they will refund you a bunch of money or what have you. So Amazon always tries to make right. I personally have never... The issues I've had, they've always immediately corrected, so I've never really had an issue with them. Um, yeah, Facebook groups, man. If you guys are serious, anybody out there that's serious about collecting and uh, hardcovers and omnibuses and things like that, let me know. If you're not already in the Facebook groups, there's a few of them out there. Um, we have the Omnibuds Cafe, which is run by a friend of mine named Salvatore. Um, Sal's a great guy. And then we also have the Omnibus Collectors Group, which is the larger one of the two. 
Um, that one's run by a lot of people, but the guy that started his name is Riley. So there's a bunch of bunch of people in there. Um, you guys can. It's a great community. Um, Reddit. Comic Swap, there's always stuff in there you can find as well. Um, so just utilize your resources and and don't don't be impatient. Just keep keep searching. I promise you, sooner or later, the book you're looking for is gonna come up for a price that you want. And you know, don't uh, don't be impatient. Patience is a huge thing, especially when looking for out of print books. Tip three. What's tip three? Oh, tip three. Um, don't buy more than you can actually read. <laughs> that's probably one of that's probably one of the largest issues that people have when it comes to hard myself included. Everybody I know is in this boat. Um, the collection I have, even though it's much smaller than it once was, I think I've only read maybe half of my collection. Oh. Um. I definitely intend on reading the rest um, or their books that I read, but like years and years and years ago. So I don't like remember everything like, well, Sandman I love, but I've only read the first two volumes so far. I have the other two volumes in absolute death to read. Um, but I've read the first two volumes of Sandman and fuck. Is it good? Um, hang on. Let me look real quick. Have I read? All right, I lied. I think I actually have read almost all of it, except for House of Secrets, which I just got. It's going to be cool. Um, X-Men 3. I've read X-Men 1 and 2, Volumes 1 and 2, but I've not read X-Men Volume 3. What does X-Men 3 consist of? What issue to what issue? Um, I don't remember. I know it has, like, God Loves, Man Kills. It's that era. Okay, so, like, um, mid Phalanx, early maybe. 80s. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, I think. Yeah. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man, I've read a lot of it, but not all of it, and now I have all of it in hardcover format, which is awesome, because a couple of them are out of print. Uh, oh, and I haven't read Howard the Duck yet. I mean, I have read some Howard the Duck, but I haven't read the Omni. Mm. But I picked up the Omni for 30 bucks, so I'm not mad about that. What a steal. So yeah, I actually have read more of my collection than I thought. But anyways, yeah, so don't don't buy more than you're going to read. That's, uh... Some people, like myself, you just get caught up like in the thrill of the hunt, and it's almost more fun to look and buy than it is to read. <laughs> well, not more fun than not more fun than it is to read, but like it's easier to like look and buy than it is to sit down and actually read. So sometimes, like the thrill of the hunt takes over. But uh, I understand that that's how it is. With yeah. Animals. Now this is gonna lead into our final thing. So we're almost at the hour mark, but I think we have a little bit more time, and I don't want to leave you single whoa, copy. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Well, before you, wait, I'm sorry, Alex, before you jump in there, I have a question, a hardcover question. Okay, go ahead and ask your hardcover question. Um, all right. Um, okay, so I need some help with clarifying some of the printings when it comes to hardcovers. So, for an example, I am working on getting the IDW, um, a bunch of different IDW stuff. Uh, the first thing I start off with is Star Trek Gold Key Archives. And in here, you know, it's I got volume one. And when you go inside of it, it says third printing. Mm-hmm. I cannot find any information about IDW having a first or second printing of this anywhere. I mean, is, do, are they considering that they printed this book I did three times or 
because the comics was the first printing, then the UK version was the second printing, now this hardcover is the third printing. Yeah, from my understanding, IDW, it's usually just because it's it's uh, the third printing of the hardcover. Um, mm. But I've never met anybody that really cares about what printing they have. A lot of the collectors I know, like, none of us really, really care. See, like, yeah, my lo- like my lock and key right here, it's a second printing. Mm-hmm. See, that kind of goes into a couple other questions. Is Do each different printing have different content? And... Okay, so... Okay, let me re-clarify a, a little bit here on the printing. So, there's, a, like, books get... Like, the Transformer books from IDW, for instance, they're, like, in, like, their 7th and 8th printing. They've been mm-hmm. making them since, like, 2013, 2014, something like that. So they're like in like their seventh and eighth printing on some of the earlier volumes. Um, so if you collect it, nobody cares about what vault or what printing it is because it's all the exact same content. It's all identical, etc. Now there are times when a book goes out of print. So like the Death and Return of Superman. Okay. That book went out of print. It was originally made in 2007. That book went mm-hmm. out of print. In 2013, 14, they reprinted it. Now, when they reprinted that one, they actually added in like 400 pages of additional material. Hmm. Some of it's story-wise. Some of it's just like extras, like, you know, sketches and, and concept art and things like that. Um now, like, for instance, they're going to be reprinting um, John Byrne's Fantastic Four Volume 1 this fall because that book went out of print, like, about a year or so ago. And they're reprinting it this fall. I'm excited because I'm going to grab the reprint. That reprint probably won't have – it'll probably look identical to the first one. It'll mm-hmm. just say second printing in it. So it varies. I would say about 90% of the time, though, it's the exact same book. And value-wise, it's basically the same value between printings? Correct, yeah. There's so like Walt Simonson's Thor Omnibus. That mm-hmm. book was out of print for a long time and was selling for 150 to 200 bucks um, on eBay and third-party sites and things like that. They just reprinted it almost a year ago, and the mm-hmm. minute that reprint dropped, even the first volumes or the first printing volumes all dropped to like 55 bucks. 60 bucks, 70 bucks, whatever it is. Um, So instead of, which is why a lot of people say if a book's going to get a reprint, just wait. Because all these third-party sellers that are trying to sell, like Hickman's Fantastic Four Volume 1 for $300, if that book ever gets a reprint, which we don't know if it will or not, it's never been announced, at least not yet. If it does get a reprint, though... All those books that were three hundred are gonna be like seventy five, fifty, sixty, whatever. So Okay. Okay. Well that answers my question then. Cool. So, so yeah, if it, it says matter. like third print yeah. So unless they do like a a revamped printing, like sometimes when they do reprintings, like uh Image did one for Black Science. The first printing it was a glued binding and it had like really bad gutter loss and it really wasn't that well made. Well then they re released it. And it it was a sewn binding the second go around. So sometimes you'll have different printings with like the material, but once again, 
if you just research it online, you'll see right away if that's the issue. Cause like, and they renamed it too. They didn't just rename it like black science and put it out and you don't know which one you're buying. Like they renamed it like black science remastered or something like that. And it's the exact same content. It's just, it's thicker pages and a sewn binding rather than glued. Okay. So, but IDW books, a lot of times are going to be uh, glued binding just because they're a lot thinner. They don't really do sewn bindings a lot, I don't think. Actually, I think, oh, I lied. I'm looking right now. Lock and key is a sewn binding. I prefer sewn bindings a lot of times because you're going to have less gutter loss than the glued bindings. But once again, that's just personal preference. Cool. So. Now that we have all of uh, Michael's questions out of the way, (laughs) I kind of don't want to just leave the people that collect, like, single copies and uh, floppies and paper, you know, those guys out of the way. So, on the flip side of things... Oh, nobody cares about those. Oh, shut your mouth. Uh, (laughs) So, on the flip side of things, I want to know, what is Michael's top three tips for collecting single issues? Top three tips for collecting single issues. Number one, make sure it's within your budget. Okay. That really, because I know so many people that basically buy an issue because it's a first appearance or it's uh, a number one. They spend, you know, a couple of thousand dollars or more on the comic. And then later down the road, they end up selling it because it wasn't within their budget. You know, if you're going to buy the issue, you know, have it, enjoy it. And I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of purchasing comics that are uh, graded. I, I, I'm just not. And there has to be. There's a few reasons to grade something. If it's a signed signature, you want to preserve it. If there's something special about it, preserve it. Um, but if you're going to buy a, a single issue, read it, enjoy it. That's what the comics are there for. Read and enjoy those comics. You know? Or, I mean, I mean, I grade my... I mean, I have my Wonder Woman graded, but I have two copies. So is that your I second wanna... tip there? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. Buy it, read it, enjoy it. Okay? And then third is... Wait, there's more than three, but third... Shop around, I guess. You know? There's so I, I mean, I support my LCSs. I go to my shops. I enjoy the hunt. I enjoy the search. I go out there, and I hunt for what I want before I even go on the Internet. Well, that's you something know. that we always used to talk about all the time, how you and me would plan trips. Like, I mean, not in the same yeah. place, but we, we didn't live near each other. But we'd plan mm-hmm. trips on the weekends to go check out antique shops and garage sales yeah. and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, support your LCS. Get those back issues there first, because mm-hmm. without your support, they're not going to be around. And damn it, that would really suck. So support them. Get out there. Go through the bins, and you know you can find some great deals out there. And when you start building up a good rapport with those shops, they typically help you out, give you good deals, and things like that. Oh, I mean, those are three. I mean, I can go on with more if you want. No, we don't have all day, and we're past the hour mark. Jeez. <laughs> you jabber mouth over here. Man, you can't shut yeah, up. Well. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Uh, whatever, whatever. 
All right, so you heard it now. We got the top three tips for this podcast on uh, buying hardcovers from Matt, and you have the top three comic, single comic buying tips from uh, Michael now. And if uh, anyone's going to know about that, it's Michael. I feel like he's owned and sold more comics than uh, most normal people. (laughs) Yeah, it could be true. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. Well, I guess that is going to wrap up our episode of Four Guys in a Comic. Be sure to check us out uh, every weekend. Uh, We're going to try our best to do it every weekend. I know we have been off and on through the past uh, month or two. Um, Hopefully we'll see uh, Nova coming back here soon. Uh, Sadly, I will not be around uh, next week for a recording. I'm going to Las Vegas, and hopefully I'll make it big, and um, then I can buy you all your... uh, you guys all a super special present whenever I'm a uh, multimillionaire. So, um, you know, hopefully I'll get yeah, lucky I'll, on the slats. Yeah, can I just put my request now? I just want a recording studio for uh, the podcast. That's all. Hey, that's like number <laughs> one, right? Yeah. Be able to fly everyone in uh, yeah, uh, every week go. and be like, all right, on my private jet. Um, but yeah, you know. Uh, so I won't be around, but, uh, you know, go ahead, check us out on Facebook for all our updates. Same thing with Twitter. It's at the number four guys in a comic. Um, or you can just search for us at four guys in a comic on Facebook. We're always doing updates on both of those. You can see some fun things for panels. We post polls, which we, I, I think it's over now, but, um, I had a poll up recently, which was, uh, which was the biggest, uh, the bigger impact in comics, whether it was Thor or Hulk. Uh, I myself said Hulk. I don't know what y'all voted for. Thor. Uh, you said Thor. What'd you say, Matt? Um, I was thinking about it and looking back. I guess it depends on how you look at it. But in the grand scheme of things, in the world of comic books, and you're not referring to movies and things like that and pop culture, you're just strictly referring to to comics. I would probably have to say Thor. Oh, okay. I'm outvoted on that one. But we will see what the thing says. Right now when we're recording this, the poll's not over, but it is by the time. And we'll talk about that a little bit, I guess, uh, next podcast a little bit among some other things. But yeah, go check us out on social media and uh, be sure to uh, look for us and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. All right, guys. Uh, This is Alex. This is Michael. And this is Myatt. Myatt. I will see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) 